0: Welcome to the Commune Podcast. My name is Jeff Krasnow. What you are about to hear is one of seven keynote lessons from our 2022 Commune Wellness Summit, which featured more than 30 world-renowned teachers sharing their insights on a wide range of wellness topics. Now, my hope is that by the end of this extended lesson, you will have discovered at least one aspect of your life that you feel motivated to support with more love, more attention and more balance. Now that insight will be different for each person or even each time that you listen. And this is one facet of why I called this company Commune, because exposure to a multitude of ideas, you could say a biodiversity of ideas, is how we develop individually and thus as a collective. Now each of these teachers has a full-length course available on Commune. So if you are inspired to go deeper, I highly encourage you to sign up for a free 14-day trial of Commune membership at onecommune.com trial. You will find more than a 100 courses on personal development, health, yoga, meditation, and social impact, as well as the full seven-day wellness summit. So without further delay, here's the sixth lesson from our 2022 Commune Wellness Summit titled Planetary Regeneration. Welcome. Today's lesson explores how your personal wellness is connected to the collective well-being of the planet. And Personally, I'm often overwhelmed by a sense of deep grief when I think about the senseless self-destruction that is global warming. It's truly devastating and the urgency with which we need behavior change can't be overstated. Today's lessons don't offer all the solutions, but rather some key perspectives and core concepts as we grapple with how to do our individual parts. Our first lesson is from environmental activist, entrepreneur, and author, Paul Hawken. Paul has dedicated his life to environmental sustainability and changing the relationship between business and the environment. He is one of the environmental movement's leading voices and a pioneering architect of corporate reform with respect to ecological practices. Paul is also the founder of Project Drawdown, a nonprofit that maps and models the 100 technological, social, and ecological solutions with the most potential to scale and have impact. He'll be speaking to us about how each of us can make a shift both in our habits and mindset, from degeneration to regeneration.
1: I think one of the reasons that most of us, most people in the world are disengaged about climate is because of the way we talk about it. And the way we talk about it is as if it was someplace else as if it was an it, we talk about fixing it, and we don't know what it is because it doesn't exist. And we see atmosphere and climate as someplace else instead of in this room, what I'm breathing right now is the atmosphere. And that sense of othering the climate uh, cannot lead us to a resolution and a solution to global warming, because it's the thinking that causes it, which is to see nature as something that's separate from human beings, human nature. And there's plenty of evidence to suggest that we're acting separately, that we're acting against nature, of course, that's true. But that doesn't mean it is actually true from a planetary point of view. From the planetary point of view, Uh, Humanity, the atmosphere, the biosphere are one thing, it's a system. And so if we're going to effectively address global warming, we have to step back and look at the language we're using to each other. And we're using language like fighting, climate change, combating, tackling, mitigating, which most people don't know what it means even. And when we have that kind of language, those are verbs, and verbs are not goals we need a goal, which is a noun, which is why I've used the word drawdown, but there can be other words as well, which is, we need to reverse global warming. We need to not just stop putting greenhouse gases up there. We need to actually bring them back home. And so what we also see in the climate movement is this idea that there's a technical fix that in other words, somehow we can technically figure out new and better and amazing ways. To draw carbon out of the air for carbon capture, to suck it is a word people use to suck carbon out of the atmosphere, you know, and to liquefy it and bury it deep underground. This is direct air capture. And uh, it's a very male, sort of Bill Gatesian point of view of the world. Uh, and there has constantly been this attempt uh, by technology oriented people. To think that technology can fix the problems technology has caused, and that isn't true. Uh, at some point, you have to step back and going, what was the purpose of this technology in the first place? And if it's causing harm, it doesn't mean we want to lay overlay another technology on top of it. And again, all this is emblematic of the sense of othering, you know, and. When we think about othering, it suffuses the world today politically. Um, it's about racism. It's about sexism. It's about the Me Too movement. It's about anti-Semitism. Um, you, you, it's just it. It's everywhere. We talk about each other and about where we live and who we are, as if we're separate and different, and something's better and something's not as good, et cetera. When the idea of regeneration itself actually is an idea of inclusivity because the, this, this planet that we live on uh, doesn't work the way people are thinking about it right now and it doesn't work the way uh, we're talking about it with respect to climate. And as long as we think of climate change, the climate crisis, global warming, as something that's out there, wherever there is and so forth, uh, then it reinforces our sense of anxiety and worry and fear uh, as if, you know, it's out of control uh, and it disempowers people. And in a very real way, it, it is out of our control, it, which is so interesting. But it's out of our control because nature never makes a mistake. We do. And so the way to look at global warming and the way to look at these rapid changes now in weather caused by changes in the climate for sure is to understand that we're being homeschooled this is our home and we're getting taught every day and by this compassionate teacher called our home on the earth you know our mother if you will and um the lessons are manifest and daily and constant and so what it's teaching us is to look at each other at what we're doing at the assumptions that underlie uh, our desire to be alive and to be well, and to be well taken care of and to be fed. All that sort of stuff is natural, but the way in which we're doing it is basically taking life from the earth. We're extracting it. We're degenerating life. And the whole of the economic system that we're relying upon and that we participate in uh, takes, it extracts, and such an extractive system, by for by, force, is degenerative because it's taking life. As soon as you take life away from something in an unnatural way, from an extractive way, um, basically you're on the road to degeneration, and where we are right now as a civilization is that we can see that that road to uh, degeneration doesn't go much further. In other words, we can keep doing it for sure, but not much longer. We see that in the weather, in the fires, in the droughts, in the floods, but we also see it in biodiversity, the loss of fish, the loss of acidification of the oceans, the loss of species, the loss of pollinators, the loss of life on earth, And so we know now that the road to degeneration ends. We can see the end of that road. So the question is, why do we want to keep going down that road? We don't. And so the reversal of global warming is really about a pivot, a 180 away from uh, degeneration uh, towards regeneration. So what does that mean? Well, let's figure it out. It's not not for me to say what it means. I can say what I feel and what I understand for sure. But we, ha- we're, we're, what we're witnessing right now, actually, is a burgeoning regeneration movement on Earth. I mean, people are figuring this out. And they're making this 180 pivot, and regeneration is putting life at the center of every act and decision we make. And when you look at what you do, look at what you buy, look at what you make, look at what Uh, you think you need or require for your life, uh, and you ask that question, you'll see it differently. Does it or does it not? And it's not as though everybody can change overnight to have a regenerative existence. Where we can change overnight is to, to start making that pivot and asking ourselves those questions, which is, does this enhance life or does it remove life? Um, does it destroy the living environment or does it remove, Does it restore it, does it renew it, does it rejuvenate it, does it regenerate it? And these are the questions that every person, every city, every company, every government structure has to ask itself. Um, and that path doesn't lead us to less, it leads us to more. We think this is more, but it's not more, it's less and less every single day. And so regeneration is not just about bringing the earth back to life, it is, but it's also about bringing ourselves back to life, bringing our our essence, our spirit, our sense of purpose, our meaning to our lives. So, you know, one of the greatest causes of depression is lack of meaning. When people feel they have no meaning, their job has no meaning, where they live has no meaning, the world itself when they look at it has no meaning, that is the single biggest cause of depression. And we are at this threshold now of an offering, you know, which is the greatest meaning one could have at this time on earth is to bring the earth back to life and to bring the earth back to life means bringing us back to life, our cultures, our societies, our cities, our towns, our neighborhoods, our homes, our community. I mean, global warming and climate crisis are actually, again, as I said, is a teaching, it's an offering. We just have to turn to it and and rather than push it away or feel threatened by it, which is understandable, by the way, it's understandable. It's Rational, by the way, but to go beyond that, to say, okay, what is it saying? What is it? Uh, what's the tell here? You know, and the tell here is meaning, which is that we can create a world that is regenerative, um, and not just for this decade, or not just to quell global warming, uh, but for centuries and centuries uh, going forward. <laughs> Okay, that's a
0: lot to take in. If you feel paralyzed by the complexity and urgency for climate action, you are in the vast majority of humankind. So many of us feel anxious, afraid, or confused about global warming and the future. The entire narrative of global warming implies that this is a problem for scientists and governments to solve, while the solutions offered to individuals feel limiting and small. We've been taught that this is something happening to us rather than for us. But what's beautiful about Paul's reframing is that it is not about a future existential threat. Rather, it simply asks you to put life at the center of your life right now. And that brings us meaning and brings us purpose. Now, what you just listened to is Paul's warm-up For his full-length course Regeneration in Commune Membership. I highly encourage you to check it out. In that course, Paul offers a powerful vision as well as practical steps for how we will enact real environmental change that serves all of humanity. Next, we'll be hearing from Finian Makepeace, co-founder of Kiss the Ground and a passionate advocate for regenerative agriculture and soil health. He believes that with enough new advocates promoting the ancient wisdom and new science of regenerative agriculture and ecosystem restoration, we can heal our planet. This lesson teaches us that even if we aren't in the role of a farmer or a scientist, it is vitally important that we serve in the role of advocate. Here's Finian Makepeace.
2: You're here to become an advocate for global regeneration, to be able to communicate and convey and give this information about how we can solve the climate crisis, the water crisis and the food crisis to anyone. This course is slightly different in that it's not just another lecture series. It is designed for you to be empowered. So that means we're giving you tools, giving you ways of communicating this so that you can as your individual self, get this message out into the world. What we're going to be talking about today is looking at what it means to have a new view. We're going to be talking about how important of a role it is to be an advocate, what that means, how, how essential it is for the operation and the effectiveness of a movement. And lastly, we're really going to be dialing in to how it can be really helpful to find your why, your story, why you're involved. So I want to start with some of my background. I have been an environmentalist and an activist for most of my life. As time went on, understanding what was happening in terms of global warming, in terms of the desertification of our world, as these things really came into perspective, it was nothing short of devastating and depressing, and the reality of it was so confronting because there was so little promise of solutions that matched the weight of those issues we were facing. So to be honest, I was feeling and becoming more apathetic. Like what could I really do? Seven years ago, I had a dream that I was an old man and I was living in a refugee camp in Brazil at the time because global climate change had wreaked havoc on the entire world. Billions of people had died, billions misplaced. And I'm sleeping in this refugee camp and my granddaughter shakes me awake and she says, I found a hole in the fence. She sneaks us both out of the hole in the fence and the two of us walk all night and as a light starts to to come up and dawn approaches. We come over the crest of this hill. Out in front of us is the city that's completely destroyed. And I look down at my granddaughter and she has tears just streaming down her face. And she's just like, why didn't you do anything to stop this from happening? She was so angry. I felt it. And I felt I felt like I couldn't be that old man. I knew in that moment that I could not be an old man who said, I don't know, spent too much time watching sports or I didn't have time. That set me up for a totally new listening, a totally new ability to absorb what I could actually do. So I knew that what Ever the big idea, the big thing that came along to me that actually made sense, that was actually cemented in a big possibility, I had to do whatever it took to help that. Six months later, my friend Ryland had just been at a conference in New Zealand, and he had heard all these scientists talk about, can human beings sustain themselves on planet Earth? One after the other, five scientists, No, 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 because we can't stop the current trajectory we're on. We're not going to. The last scientist, the last gentleman, his name was Graham Sate, and he said everything that the previous folks have said is true, except for we left out this one big thing. And that's what we're going to be talking about. That's our big hope. And that was the new view. We can do this. There is a way out. We can do this. That was the shift. So Rylan being himself, he's the other co-founder of our organization, Kiss the Ground. He convinced Graham to come to Los Angeles on his way to San Francisco and present to a group of us. And that night after a four hour presentation, I got it. I knew I, I had enough science background. I had studied enough science to know what was being said is true. These are are facts of how the, the soil system works. This is how ecosystems work. This makes sense. So that very night, we got that humanity can live regeneratively. And we're gonna get way more into that as this course goes on, so don't worry if you're not really grasping what that means. But what it meant in that moment, what we really got was we have the ability to rebuild our soils. And if we have the ability to rebuild our soils, we can restore fertility all across the world. We can replenish water sources. That means sources of fresh water, aquifers, springs, we can replenish them. And lastly, it meant we could reverse global warming. And it seems too good and too big to be true, but that's the magic. That's why I'm here is because this is a reality. It's happening right now. People are doing this. I know them personally, and we're going to be getting into all of that as this 10 days progresses. This is the big new idea. And what it really threw into our faces was how we were perceiving the world doing everything we could to be sustainable. But what I just talked about isn't sustainability. It's actually regenerative ability. We have the ability to be regenerative. So it changes your view. So that's the new view. You get that wait a minute. We can do this because we can be regenerative interactions in our lives. What we support and I want to do one word, word exercise here with us for a second. It all of a sudden brought up this idea of response ability. So when you look at this word, it's obviously not spelled like that, but what's in there is responsibility. So those doctors in that picture, they have a unique response ability, an ability to respond. If someone has a gaping wound, they have a, an ability to help fix that emergency. So that's a unique responsibility. So it made myself and, and those around me who were learning this idea, wait, what is our responsibility? What can we do right now? What unique gifts and attributes and communities and, and, and resources that do we have right now to help? So what is our responsibility? And we saw that we have the ability to, we have the responsibility to spread awareness. It's, it's a low bar. It's a low hanging fruit. Really, anyone can do it. And that's why you're here today. We have this unique position to be like, wait, I can help spread the word. So our mission at Kiss the Ground, after, after a year or so of figuring out that we were going to be a nonprofit and what our role was, our mission is inspiring participation in global regeneration, starting with soil. How we look at movements, right, is important to understand the trajectory of any movement, the success of any movement. Generally, it works through these three basic phases, awareness, actions, and outcomes. So why do we have awareness circled? Is because of the significance of that part. What happens with so many movements is there is a tendency for small groups of individuals to get it, get an idea, start on the actions, have their outcomes, cheering themselves on, and then then doing this action outcome feedback loop, which is great. But the problem is to have a successful movement. We know we have to hit critical mass and we have to hit critical mass of awareness. We have to be able to reach 18 to 20% of our population, understanding this, comprehending it such that, actions and outcomes can follow in the magnitude that we need them. So what we're saying is anywhere you are on the trajectory of this, we all can and should, whether you're fresh off the boat, just learned about this, or whether you're someone who's an expert in it already, can you dial in your skills and help to spread the awareness such that we hit critical mass together? So our leaders, are essential. There is no movement without the leaders. There is no movement without that first person or those first peoples. The pioneering farmers, our indigenous leaders who have all of this wisdom and have had it. Uh, Some of the scientists who are really making the groundbreaking discoveries of all of this information, they're the leaders. They're not afraid of ridicule. They're not afraid of being ostracized. They know what they're doing. They get it. They've been in it some for years. Now, they're going to continue doing that as, as important as that role is, we're saying, don't undercut the importance of your role. The second person, this supportive role, this role that's saying, let me learn from you. But in so doing, let me make this idea more available to more people. Oftentimes, when we we look at matter of fact of how movements start, It's often not the people who are, who are the leaders per se, or those first folks per se who everyone's following or understanding it from. It's often that second or third person who's making ideas more available to more communities, more unique audiences. And that is how a movement begins. That's how a movement forms and is successful because there are people who say, look, I'm not the expert. I don't need to be the expert but I want to to challenge myself to learn as much as I can so that I can be a support system. And I'm on the court. We're saying, we don't want you to just go to conferences and learn about this idea. Should you? Of course. But we want you to do it in the understanding of the importance of your role as a player in this movement. You're on the court too. You're not just a spectator. If you wanna be a spectator, I encourage you not to take this course. We want you to be like, hey, my life is up for for a challenge. I'm up for facing this, I'm up for doing this, and I wanna play a role. I have a unique voice, I have a unique gift, I have a contribution to make. So we're gonna be empowering you as an advocate to be that second person, to be that support role. And I'm going to be giving you tools and access to the information and skills to help you Get out of any comfort zone issues you have around public engagement. In 10 days, we're gonna be working through all of this stuff so that you can feel more empowered and have access to simple, concrete information and examples that you can use to share with the world.
0: I hope you find Finian's passion as contagious as I do. And despite the crisis we face, there is hope. We can rebuild soil, replenish water cycles, and reverse global warming. When we collectively focus our influence on grand inflection points, like the way our food is grown, we can start to heal the world from the soil up. Now for a complete education in soil advocacy, Finian leads a 10-day course in commune membership called Soil is the Climate Solution. It even includes PowerPoint presentations and demonstrations you can use to talk with friends, family, businesses, and local government about the importance of regenerative agriculture and soil conservation. Now, in our next lesson, we'll be hearing from Warren Brush, who is a gifted permaculture teacher and designer. And permaculture has been described as a whole systems approach to the development of agricultural ecosystems. It's a conscious ethical design method for regenerative human settlement. But I'll let Warren explain more.
3: I'd like to share a quote from um, one of my teachers, Bill Mollison, uh, who says, the greatest change we need to make is from consumption to production, even if on the small scale in our gardens. If only 10% of us do this, there is enough for everyone. Hence the futility of revolutionaries who have no gardens, who depend on the very system they attack, and who produce words and bullets, not food and shelter. I share this here early in this discussion because it speaks to what are we actually doing in our lives to make foundational change. And permaculture is about foundational change. It's about going to the edge and in systems theory, The edge is where new energy comes into a system. It doesn't come from the center of a system, it comes from outside, it enters in. And and permaculture is an edge design system that brings new energy in. And it gets us to think about how we're making foundational change in us. And that's what permaculture is about. It's not about going and doing this to someone else or sharing this with someone else until you've done those changes in your own life. And to where you embody your understanding of design through your own landscape where you live. And that can be in an urban environment. I've seen a fifth floor farm in the most urban uh, apartment building in Nairobi to uh, suburban plots in Pasadena that are growing food commercially on a quarter acre plot um, to broad acre landscapes and you know larger farms like the Dashas of russia where they produce over 50 percent of their food in farms that are two acres or less to very large farms that you see all over the world that um, are are growing on thousands of acres and so here permaculture can apply to all of those different aspects of growing because it's not gardening it's not composting. Permaculture is not natural building. Permaculture is not gray water systems. Permaculture is not about a food forest. But what it is is about how you design all of those aspects into a human settlement. It's about designing life. And that is what's really important. And it's one of the things that has been really important in the permaculture movement is that it's been accessible to all. That's been something that the permaculture movement is working on. It's, it's still, I think, uh, has a lot of growth to happen there where it's, where it's more diverse and accessible. And I think it's really important that, um, that, that this teaching and understanding can be shared and disseminated globally um, where it's appropriate. But also very important is that you recognize where it's happening and it's not called permaculture. And I think that's really important is that we don't get stuck on the word permaculture, but we, get, um, we, we marry the idea of ecological regeneration and agroecosystem development that is life-giving. And wherever that happens, we embrace it and say, hey, we're kindred in this. And I think that's an important part of this journey for all of us, and especially those of you who are just starting and asking questions in your own life of. You know, how do I get my food? Where does it come from? And those are activities that I think are really important for each of you to start doing, is starting to, to track your sustenance line and start to look at where you can quickly bring that sustenance closer to you and in relationship. Maybe right now you're buying food at Whole Foods or maybe you're buying it at at a place called Trader Joe's or wherever the markets, the big markets that you're in, you might be going there and you might not know the story of that fruit. You might not know the story of the meat. You might not know the story of the grain, but what you can do is then start to look locally. Where are farmers that that are actually growing some of this that i can be in relationship and learn about how they're farming what they're farming and and bring that into my life so you're bringing your sphere of resources closer to you and more and in a way where you can take more responsibility for it then you can start to look at what are the things i can grow that i don't even need to get from the farmer and you start to make steps that make sense so first by starting is just tracking Where does my food come from? Where where am I going? And that's lesson number one, is really learning about that and where those things come from. Another important aspect of of permaculture design is that it's using local resources as best as possible and local resources are often overlooked which is really amazing so a lot of the work like i've done over the years in farming is i'll go to our community that i'm providing food for commercially and i'll look for waste streams that are in that community and i'll start to gather those waste streams in a way that turns it from being something that is could be potentially causing damage ecologically to actually be helping in the healing process For example, I would go to a local brewery, and I I remember very distinctly going to Island Brewery in Carpinteria and went to the owner and the brewer and said, hey, we see these barrels of of your spent grain from your brewing process out back, and they were paying someone to, to, to send it away. What if we came and picked it up regularly and you didn't have to pay for it? And they said, better than that we'll give you free beer if you go ahead and take that for us. So we would fight for who goes gets the, um, the grain because it's, it was such a great exchange. And then we took that grain and we brought it to our piggery where we have heritage breeds of pigs and we would use that as a supplement to their food. And then we found that there were other waste streams, like at the end of, of um, Halloween, there would be all of these pumpkins that would not you know, be good for cooking, but they would be literally thrown or turned back into the field that, that wasn't sold from pumpkin patches, and we would gather those and feed the, pigs during the winter and then that those pigs in turn did work on our farm so they would help us to increase our natural resources by putting manure where we needed it and they would cycle the nutrients that came from the waste stream back into the food systems that would then feed the people who were going to the brewery Um, we also would take some of the pork and we sold to another brewery that pork who did they did uh, a restaurant with it so there was this important understanding of cycling of resources that's a very core understanding of permaculture permaculture is a movement that is rooted in practical resilience and what does that mean well there's multiple aspects to that and i've just put a few here on the screen Um, one of them is it's ethically driven we are based we're a design science based on ethics so we're earth care people care, and fair share. And that's something we're gonna get into more deeply because it's right at the very uh, the very lens of how we look at the world around us through earth care, people care, and fair share. And that makes it unique because we we can't design something that's destroying landscape or social scapes. And it's important that we're looking at design through the lens of what's life-giving. And that's, that is key to what that what roots permaculture into the ecological and socio-cultural landscape. Another really important piece of the permaculture journey is that it's not about a single source of capital that we put at the the pinnacle of what we're trying to get to. So we don't say financial resources are the ultimate of what we want to 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 our ultimate aim, we actually look at a holistic set of what we what we deem as wealth, and I often use the term as eight forms of capital, which um, I want to just read because I just need to read it. So there's living capital, cultural capital, experiential capital, intellectual capital, spiritual capital, social capital, material capital and financial capital. Now, all of those eight are are looking at, we're looking at how we design our lives so we're not putting all our eggs in one basket, so to speak, and I think that's an important thing to think of, how much social capital do we have? I know people going through the pandemic are relying on a lot of social capital to make it work, for them during that time. I know that in times of crisis generally, you, you, look, to your, you look to your social networks for support. There's, it's important to understand if you don't have an ecological base, you're not gonna have ultimately financial wealth because all economy is dependent on ecology. And it's, it's an important understanding that we look at in, in permaculture. So we design holistically. So we talk about it as a conscious design science for regenerative human settlement. Okay,
0: so just like Paul wanted to shift our perspective from degeneration to regeneration, Warren's description of permaculture is similarly expansive. Permaculture is not just one technique, but rather an entire approach to designing your life, environment, and community to be more in sync with natural patterns. There is a concept in Taoism of going with the flow of water rather than resisting it. The first principle of permaculture is observation. You observe, then you observe some more. Then you create a design that harnesses the power of nature rather than working against it. Warren's lesson is excerpted from our expansive course Principles of Permaculture. Whether you have a small balcony or acres to farm, this course will give you tools to design a landscape of abundance. I hope you will find it in commune membership and check it out. And there are some pretty, pretty cool goats involved too. That brings us to the end of our lesson today. Since I mentioned the Tao a moment ago, I will close with an environmentally minded translation of verse 39 of the Tao Te Ching. When man interferes with the Tao, oneness is lost and the sky becomes filthy. The earth becomes unstable and creatures become extinct. The sage understands the unity of all parts. The pieces of a chariot are useless unless they work in accordance with the whole. A man's life brings nothing unless he lives in accordance with the whole universe. Living in accordance with the universe is true humility. If you want to continue exploring how your well-being is inextricably bound to the well-being of the earth, I invite you to continue exploring the commune membership courses in our impact pillar. I think you'll find both inspiration and practical wisdom. Thank you for listening to this sixth lesson from our seven day commune wellness summit titled Planetary Regeneration. Now, if you enjoy this show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. If you are a regular listener, you have a sense for how much effort we put into this show's creation, and we really do our best to keep ads to a minimum. So if you're looking for a way to support our efforts, the best way is to subscribe to Commune. You'll access more than a hundred courses featuring the world's top authors and thought leaders, as well as the full-length wellness summit. The membership version of this summit includes yoga, meditation, and breathwork classes paired with each daily lesson, so you can actually embody what you are learning. For 14 days of free Commune membership, just visit onecommune.com trial. And of course, feel free to reach out to me directly anytime with suggestions and criticism of the constructive variety at JeffK at onecommune.com. Lastly, and not leastly. I would like to thank the folks that make this show possible week over week, including Jacob Laub, Megan Stone, Violet Augustine, Ruby Foster, Emma Fret, Silvana Alcala, and Ryan Tillotson. That's all from the commune for today. My name is Jeff Krasno, and I am here for you.